Hello and welcome back to Lunch with Auntie. Lunch with Auntie is my podcast and in it I interview a bunch of successful people, mainly women, who have really become visionaries and leaders in their fields. Today I interviewed Auntie Sumi who works for several organizations including Playam and Ashoka and she is a proponent of social entrepreneurship and lifelong learning and you can definitely see that. I really loved our conversation today so Stay tuned to find out more about Auntie Sumi. Could you kind of give a little bit of background about yourself and how you got from being someone my age to being really successful in the field that you're in? So, in a nutshell. Oh, hi, Hannah. Thank you very much for having me. Um, firstly, I'm not sure I'm an auntie, okay? <laughs> okay, okay. That's just the name of our podcast. <laughs> I know, I know. So I think for the purpose of this podcast, uh, you can call me Sumi. Okay. Um, you know, we have a joke. We have a joke in my family when you call someone an auntie. So. <laughs> okay, no auntie then. It's okay. One of my one of my eight year old sister's friends called me Auntie Hannah the other day, and I was I'm like I'm not even an adult yet. <laughs> Yeah, we have a phrase in my family. We go, oh, don't be an auntie, okay? Which means don't be boring and long-winded and, you know. <laughs> well, I definitely don't anyway. think you're boring and long-winded. but. <laughs> um, so the question was a little bit about myself. Yeah. Yes. Um, so I'm a social entrepreneur um, in Singapore. I co-founded Playm, the Children's Center for Creativity. Um, which led me, uh, I kind of did that about 12 years ago, which led me into this whole field around social innovation and yes. uh, working with people who are driving deep um, and really systemic social change around the world, mm-hmm. like um, Jimmy Wales, who started Wikipedia, who completely transformed our world around information and how we source information. Um, Mohammed Yunus, the founder of microfinance, and many, many more. We have about 3,500, almost 4,000 uh, social entrepreneurs globally called the Shoka Fellows. So I now work with, um, uh, I run a global part- I'm in our global partnerships team, um, and I work with Ashoka, uh, which is the fifth largest nonprofit organization globally. Okay. Uh, before that, yeah, and before that, I did a ton of work about 15, 15 years in the private sector, um, working for some of the largest uh, consumer goods and media companies in Europe, the US, um, all over Europe and the US and, and Asia. So I kind of, I was counting it the other day and I kind of lived and worked in over 15 or 20 cities. Oh, wow. Of- Fifteen years. So it's it's really funny. The first nineteen years of my life, I lived in Kuala Lumpur, and I grew up in Kuala Lumpur, and we only went to holidays in Penang and uh, Port Dickson and Singapore. And then the next fifteen years, I I moved around so much. And then the last uh, twelve years, I've been in Singapore and Indonesia and in Asia, uh, largely. Uh, I'm also a mother of three amazing boys. Um, Rohan, Akshay, and uh, Aryan, and uh, Rohan's 15, and Akshay's 13, and Aryan's 8. Um, yeah, and we now live in Singapore. So, yeah. Fantastic. Also, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Um, I love hearing about social entrepreneurships. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how that became such a big part of what you do, moving from the private sector to um, something to do more with social impact and being a social entrepreneur and that experience for you. Yeah, absolutely. That's such a great question, Hannah. Um, yeah, you know, when I was growing up, uh, it was all about results and it was all about working very, very hard. Um, and like you, I, uh, you know, um, I think you play a lot of rugby. I yes. did a lot of gymnastics. Um, I got into a great school, which I was really happy about. Um, and then had great jobs um, thereafter. Um, but about 12 years ago, when I came back to Singapore, um, I kind of took a pause. I just had my second kid, uh, Akshay, and I started looking around and reflecting and having many conversations with people. And I realized that there were very real social issues going on, um, which needed very different approaches. Um, a very different approach. I needed more innovation. By this point, I have done a lot of innovation work. Um, I have two patents, I think, at that point in my name. I've done a lot of thought leadership. And I really was wondering, what would it take? You know, me and my co-founder, Glenn, we were always bringing that sort of innovative, creative mindset into solving social issues. So that's what, that's how I ended up in social entrepreneurship. Um, because in Ashoka, what we believe a social entrepreneur is, is someone who applies their creative, resourceful self and, mm -hmm. uh, and to solve problems, and they will not rest when they solve problems. So there are a couple of qualities that we look at uh, which social entrepreneurs typically have. One is they're innovative, um, and their solutions are innovative. And therefore, because they are often representatives of the community, they are from the citizen sector, um, they see a problem differently, right? So yes. they sort of then come up with a new approach in solving the problem. The second thing is uh, the creativity of the solution. A lot of our social entrepreneurs are looking to solve problems. And by doing that, they realize that they need to often empower more people mm -hmm. to adopt their models to solve problems. They can't be holding on to the idea too hard. So they often have very, very creative approaches to solving problems and, and, and driving sort of mass scale adoption. So to give you an idea, over 95% of our social entrepreneurs are replicated, right? In the okay. business world, yeah, in a business world, you're not often looking at being replicated because you want to keep it to yourself. Yeah. And, and therefore you can charge a premium, right? And make more money. But in the social entrepreneur world or the world our Shoka fellows live in, they're really looking at saying, how can everybody adopt this? How can everybody replicate this? And how can everybody scale these solutions that are, that are working very hard? And today, in today's COVID world, I was just reading an article, like over 30, 40, 50 young social entrepreneurs uh, around the world have completely pivoted to try and solve the immediate issues that are arising from COVID. And, and they're just giving their solutions out to as many people as possible. Yeah. So the thing is creative, um, how creative is the solution? So you know? social entrepreneurship is definitely the way forward, I think, in the future. Yeah, and a couple other things um, that we look at. So one is, um, the, the third thing is um, 
how, uh, how large scale is the impact? And fourth is ethical moral fiber. So those mm-hmm. are the four, four kind of criteria that we look at. Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, we need more change makers. We need more individuals taking action towards a better yes. world. And so I think that's what, you know, COVID and everything that we're going through right now is reminding us about. Yeah, I love that on your website. The everyone is uh, everyone a change maker. That's that's fantastic. I really love that. Um, so, is this a campaign? The hashtag education storytelling. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that. Uh, that in our um, website. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So. So. Great that you picked up on that. So everyone at Changemaker World, what that's saying is we would like to, so social entrepreneurship and everything we did, that was for the last 40 years. The big new idea that we're moving towards in Ashoka is how do we create a world where everyone's driving change? Now that's a huge task, right? Yes. And um, However, in Ashoka, we're only focusing on a couple of where we think are really strategic points and that's why this conversation is really important Hannah and why Mm -hmm. I thought I'd love to speak to you today because at the heart of this we believe young people are really powerful and actually um, and how we unleash a world where every young person is stepping up and stepping forward and taking charge to solve a problem and I tell you why we're looking at that we found that 80% of business and social entrepreneurs started something in their, in their teens, right? Wow. They started something new. Yep. 80%. That's if you incredibly high. That's incredibly high. Um, 80%, uh, if you start something new as a, as, a, as a teenager, as a young person in your teens, you're four to five times more likely to go on um, as, a, you know, as a leader of an organization, a C-suite leader, um, and mobilize for more good. So in Ashoka, we've realized that if we can create more environments that inspire young people to take charge and to solve problems, uh, we're then very quickly moving, creating a whole new generation of young people that have change-making power and change-making potential to create a, you know, create a better world. And this can, you know, it doesn't mean that you'd be only in the social sector. You could be working at Facebook and you could be working at Google but yeah. once, once you've found your power to create good, when you're sitting in that role in Google or Facebook or wherever you are, you're going to be thinking about the greater good of all and not just about, um, you know, um, the immediate need of the business, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, so we've launched four new initiatives, uh, you know, we've got that, these great initiatives and you can look them up. Um, it's called the Ashoka Young Changemaker. Okay. Um, where we're by young people um, that are starting new initiatives, and we've elected 50 globally um, and five in Indonesia. And then we've got this education storytelling initiative called Lead Young, which mm-hmm. is capturing their stories. Oh, wow. Okay. And, uh, Lead Young Stories, which are capturing their stories of creating change in their communities. Um, and we've elected these individuals because they're started something new to address a social issue um and they're wanting to co-lead and build a movement to drive more change yeah that's and absolutely fantastic parents and communities um to shift the way they think about um 
uh, definitions of success uh, around young people. So I think this stitches yeah. up very nicely with your article in Straight Stats. Oh, thank you. Um, no, I just think that, yeah, the definitions of success is a very interesting one as well, and the building it together to not just have like monetary gain. Um, a little bit moving away from what you do in your job, a little bit more to you. I would love it if you could talk about a challenge that you overcome. Because one thing I think that it's very easy to do on these podcasts when I interview people is just hear about all their amazing successes. And people don't realize that, you know, people had to struggle to get to where they are today and that they had to overcome challenges and they had to have grit and they had to push through and they had to do stuff that wasn't exactly the easiest all the time. So I'd love if you can chat about a challenge that you had getting to this point. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Another great question. Um, I think one of the biggest challenge I overcome was um, actually to being able to leave uh, Malaysia, to leave Kuala Lumpur. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, I, I grew up, you know, right up to my A-level um, years in, in KL. Uh, I went to a public school system. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, I did do my A-levels in a private university. However, my parents were sort of lower middle income family. Um, yeah. My mom was very, very passionate for me to have an education, but she was very realistic in terms of, you know, back then, I mean, like it is today, like studying overseas is super expensive, right? Yeah. So my parents couldn't really afford it. And so she was like, you know, this is going to be really tough. Um, we think we can only afford one of our kids to go overseas, so you're going to have to uh, most likely go to a local university. Um, and, you know, I was like you, like a top A scoring student and great grades and all this kind of stuff. And I really wanted to go and study overseas because um, the Malaysian universities at the time were not as great, right? Yeah. Um, so I was devastated. I think I I really was disappointed that I would not be able to, that, that my parents would not be able to financially support me. So I remember then going, there. I was about 15, 14 or 15 at that time, and that's like three, five, five years away from A-levels, right? Yeah. So I started then working really, really, really hard and in sort of doing all sorts of things and planning and and. Um, and you know, just, not just studies, but like you know, school leadership stuff. Uh, I was in the arts. I did a lot of um, stuff in the arts. I did sports. Uh, everything to kind of build up this sort of uh, to to build up a CV, if you like, you know, um, to demonstrate that to find a pathway to get out of you know the sort of difficult um, system situation that I was in. So. I remember then um, getting a place at Cambridge University, and then um, you know, and that was even more expensive than a normal university. Wow! So yeah, pay, because you have to pay college fees. Mm-hmm. So then I I remember asked going for, a, and at that time there were only like five offers or eight offers I think in Malaysia uh, for Malaysians to go to yes. Cambridge, right? And uh, so it wasn't like there were tons of people going to Cambridge, right? Yeah. So. I remember going and asking, uh, applying for a government scholarship, and you know they were all awarding a hundred at that time, or hundred fifty at that time, mm-hmm. and they kind of said no to me because I I was not, um, you know, I did not fit fit a, a, an ethnic pool, right? 
So yeah. I remember being completely devastated um, for not getting the scholarship. And I thought that was it. That was all over. And then I kept going and I kept applying. And then eventually, um, eventually I got a scholarship from um, the British Council, I think. And um, yeah, and then I got to go to the to the UK um, to study in England. Um, so I guess I was glad I didn't give up, you know? Yeah. Because uh, there were so many things that didn't make it work. And and it was an important, I think that, I'm glad I couldn't give up. I think I'm glad that I chased an impossible dream um, mm-hmm. because my parents didn't encourage me to apply to Cambridge because they didn't even know it. They didn't even know the strength of it, actually, at the time. It was yeah. my best friend's dad who asked me to apply and said I should apply. and and. And I had no idea how to apply. Like there weren't counselors to help you how to apply, you know. Yeah. Um, so I think dreaming, dreaming big matters. Um, thinking big matters. I think so often you get ideas get shot down when you're young. And I think dreaming big and taking risk matters. Yeah. So I, I, yeah. So I was grateful for that. And three is um, um, effort, right? And I just keep working, working really, really hard. I think matters. That's absolutely yeah. incredible. Um, I'm really glad I asked the question now. <laughs> um, thank you so much for sharing about it. Yeah. And yeah, so I kind of have two more questions and I kind of usually finish it off with these two uh, because believe it or not, we've been talking for almost 17 minutes. Um, and one of them is what have you been reading? Because I know that you're probably a proponent of lifelong learning as well and not just reading from books, but like what have you been learning recently is probably a more accurate way of asking the question. Yeah, so I am at the moment um, training to become a coach. Wow. Uh, okay. A, a life coach and a person, uh, not not a life coach, but a, a a professional development sort of specialist. Uh, and it's a particular school of development known as integral coaching, um, which uh, looks at the development of the whole person, uh, head, heart, body. Uh, uh, spirit and spirituality and creative and creativity and and recognizing that the human is has so many different parts to them yeah and that's what makes us deeply human um, so I'm going through that and it's a long reading list and the books that I'm reading right now actually is by uh, uh, a Tibetan uh, monk um, who lives in the US uh, her name is Pema Chandran, P-E-M-A Chandran, and, and, and it's actually um, spiritual, not religious, but spiritual, and really talks about how to build in a, in a, you know, I'm thinking of the word, the right word for it, sort of inner peace and, and inner qualities that is required to um, navigate uncertainty and fear and uh, build more compassion and love in your life so yeah that's what i'm reading right now oh that's incredible and just last question um you always talked a lot about when you're my age um and kind of fighting really hard to get be able to go to the uk for education but do you have any advice to people who are listening because they're mainly my age um Mm -hmm. about being at this point in your life we're living with a lot of uncertainty right now um, whether that just that doesn't just come from university or exams, it's also coming from the whole COVID situation. Um, do you have any advice for people my age? Um, yeah, I think I guess I have an invitation to consider or a provocation, if you like, 
Um, and it was really inspired by your article too, Kathy. I mean, um, Hannah. Sorry, Kathy. Kathy. I think COVID's presenting life's biggest lesson at the moment. Um, we envisioned, you know, in the work that I do in education and young people, we envisioned this much more further out, like 10, 15 years from where we are today. Um, but today, for the first time, there'll be a cohort of kids who don't, won't have a typical IG, a GCSE results, won't have typical IB results, um, are going to be navigating a very, very different world. Yes. And therefore, I think, um, you know, knowledge and skills as we knew it before is completely almost obsolete. Um, if you think about the fact that we might be even going to one of the world's most, you know, worst economic recession in the future, um, you mm -hmm. know, and you know how this year has already begun with climate change. I know it sounds awful. I think young people actually, young people who find their power to solve problems with a ton of creativity, who are going out there, maybe doing like what you're doing, deeply listening to what people need where society is and responding with their creativity, mm -hmm. um, I think is going to be invaluable for, a, for, your for our future as a humanity together. Um, just to give you an idea, like the, you know, um, uh, Im imagine if you're an employer five years down the road, right? You will graduate sort of three to four years down the road. Uh, we would just mm -hmm. be coming out of a recession um, you know, and they're going to be struggling to be hiring a ton of jobs. The job market would have changed by then, right? Yeah. Uh, their business models would have changed by then. And if they're looking at a CV and, and they're meeting you at an, you know, in, in an interview, imagine what, you know, walk through their shoes for a minute. Like, what would they be looking at? You know, they're not going to be looking at the grades. They're not going to be looking at how many, ace, you know, how many essays, um, you know, you aced, uh, in there or how strong you know you were because they all of that stuff they believe you can do i think what they'll be looking for is someone who is ready to go out there on their own you know with no prior experience ready to roll out the sleeves work hard get to your point you know uh, and create solutions and and create outcomes and and problem solve you know yeah um and and the other part of that is also young people who can work in teams and can work with others and not running alone and mm -hmm. is able to bring others along with them and you know and young people who are empathic um, who can who can who can understand the room who can understand other people around them and then lead them in a very different way so I, I think a, a whole new um, I think focusing on skills and focusing on some of these qualities are going to be really important alongside knowledge and everything else and last but not least is staying well and practicing well-being um, yeah as a core part of your being um, is going to be so important it's not going to be you know what vitamins you're taking or what drugs you know what not so I don't mean drugs drugs but yeah but medicines you know in the future it is going to be what is your well-being routine like yeah how are you, what are you doing to look after yourself you know um, yeah yeah, thank that you. makes sense. Yeah. So much sense, actually. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for all the advice and coming on and telling your story today on Lunch with 
auntie, even though you're not auntie Sumi, you're just Sumi. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Lunch with Auntie. I will leave all of Sumi's links and everything she's done in the description bar. Thank you so much for listening once again and stay tuned for more interviews with incredible women. <laughs>